Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week it isn't about me, folks. It usually is. It, it usually is. is the Nick show. This is, welcome but, to the Nick show. Now it normally is. Normally I would pick a theme um, that services my desires and Joni would services bring a, my oh, desires, God. please. Okay. Save it for the teaser. Tickles my fancy. <laughs> and uh, worse. But we're not Okay. But you know, it's not about me this week. It's about my only friends, Ian and Joe, <laughs> and what books that they like. We're developing this fiction then. And to help me tell me about their books that they like, our two <laughs> high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Nick, we're not best friends. We're just good friends. I have other okay. friends. Uh, Nick, my name is Joe Holshue. Yikes. Yeah. Um, I, I think the theme this week is gateway books, the books that started it all, the books that we just got a little taste of and then we got hooked. Um, and Nick, if... I'm a high school English teacher. If you're looking for a gateway book, I brought the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, a book that I first read in third grade. I, I was a kid. I was a little kid. Okay. We'll, we'll get into that later. I can't wait. I just, I just want you all to know that I do not taste books. I read them and then I spit them back out. Hello. My name is Dr. Joseph Warren. I'm a scurrilous treasonous rebel. And today I'm going to tell you fine, fine Tories about Esther Forbes, 1943, wonderful buildings, Roman. Nice. Johnny Tremaine. Mm, pretty good. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> So, Ian, I actually have a question about my book. I One of my notes is that it's <laughs> Happy a... Happy to answer, Joe. <laughs> well, one of my notes is that it's epistolary, right? Which uh -huh. is weird for a kid's book, but the whole yeah. thing is is one letter. The whole thing is like a letter from a woman to her lawyer. I don't think that counts, does it? Well, okay. I would say that the epistolary form there is functioning more as a frame narrative. It's oh, like, yeah. I think part yeah, of the joy of the epistolary start is the back and with forth. this. This is like, <laughs> uh, I'm lost. What are you talking about? Joe, you gotta, we gotta ease into this. I've, keep going, Ian. <laughs> you know what frame narratives are and you know what epistolary is. So yeah, I'm not gonna. What is the reference for all this? Your book is epistolary? No, Joe's well, is. I I don't know if it is. Also, I just want to say, Ian, I think we should celebrate. I think we should be proud of Nick for a second here. He does know what epistolary yeah, is, he and does. he does know what frame narratives are, and he knows what buildings Roman are, and he yeah. knows what Romana Clef are. And Nick, those are things that you didn't know uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago. I'm not sure he necessarily knows what a Romana Clef yeah, is. Yeah, you named, <laughs> you threw in some other ones there that I definitely don't know. Um, that one that Ian said, and then the other one too. Let's play a very, very, very short game. Uh, this is called. I'm, I'm excited. What? Okay. What the heck is? What the heck? It's a new segment. It's a new oh. game segment. It's called. What, the, what heck? the heck is? What the heck is this literary device? Mm. Do I play two? Yeah, you can play two. Okay. I, I might know a yeah. lot of you can, well, I you might can not, win too. Which we'll be embarrassing. Yeah, you can win. Or maybe and this is not judged on this is not judged on how accurate you are. It's on how good of an answer you give. So if yeah. you give a really good in uh, false answer, you could still win. Here it is. Oh light wrong answers only. I see. What is, do this. what is light oats? What? Lightus? Light oats. 
Lytotes. Lytotes. Spelled L-I-T-O-T-E-S. This is a literary term? Yeah. It's a weird sounding literary term that you should figure out what it means based on the, the way the word sounds. Lytos. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, Nick, I can I can actually take this one. It's when the narrator is unreliable, like he's totes lying, um, oh, is obviously good. what this is. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Nick, do you have one? Um, Like when uh, you drop your piece of bread in the morning and it's lying on the floor. Ooh. <laughs> that toast. one is more scary to me. That one is more scary to me because like you always go land face down. All right. Um, butter butter down. We'll go ahead and um go ahead and score you one uh victory point there, Nick. Congratulations. Congratulations. Nick. Light totes are in fact when you say, oh, I don't hate that, or yeah, they're not a bad singer. It's when you're stating the affirmative, a thing, by kind of skirting around it, skating around it. You're exp- mm. you're using the negative of the contrary. So, so like lying. It is kind of like lying a bit, but, but- when you change your tone i do this all the time (laughs) (laughs) that's joe i guess you win this week you do this all the time is that the end of the game it was a very little game yeah it was a very short game and nicky won so maybe you shouldn't question it that much (laughs) wait how did i win (laughs) you gave a better answer you gave a scarier answer because light totes I'm sorry. Do you not like a, a game that doesn't have clear rules or a straightforward path <laughs> to victory? <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Okay, so um, gateway books, uh, Litheads. <laughs> I le- I was out of town for one week, and they picked <laughs> gateway as the theme. I'm so sorry. I love, I love that Nick keeps framing this as like Joe and I are little kids who live in adjacent bedrooms and are and sleep in bunk beds. Yeah. And when Nick leaves town, we kind of conspire. Mm-hmm. Hey, We're Joe, like, let's hey, he's a theme. A, let's get a good one. Let's get one he'll really hate. Yeah, like boogers. With um, the cats <laughs> away, the mice will play. Uh, I do consider this a cat and mouse kind of dynamic. So the theme is uh, gateway books, which is th- these are now. Please define this for not only the litheads but me. <laughs> okay, well, Nick, you you know what a gateway drug is? Like a well, gateway drug should, is. We should probably walk it back a little bit. Nick, okay. the human body can yeah. ingest certain substances that make it feel funky. Mm. Uh, and the, we call these drugs. Mm-hmm. So now, Joe, you can give him the gateway Right, well, drug. so I was just saying that, like, gateway drugs, like famously marijuana, it's, yeah. it's the devil's not lettuce. in itself addictive, but it might lead to the use of other drugs. So, like, you try it. You like how it makes you feel, right? Little wacky tobacco. I'm not helping you with this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Devil's you lettuce, like how yeah. it makes you feel and you chase that dragon, right? So like these are the books that we read when we were kids that have made us, you know, chase the dragon for the last 30 years. And here's your hobbit fact for the day. The dragon that we're chasing? Heroin. It's, it's no, it's smog. Smog the irresistible. Smog would be a good like street name for some sort of drug. Like, oh, like, hey, I gotta, I, I mean, I gotta heroin. score some it would be smog. Heroin. You got, you gotta get that good stuff. You gotta get that good dragon stuff. Yeah, Ian, are you excited about the new Lord of the Rings series or no? Um, I go back and forth. Who's, uh, I who's think- running it? Is it anybody reputable behind oh, well, the so- show, or is it just Jeff Bezos? <laughs> it's licensed <laughs> by the Tolkien Estate, and the Tolkien Estate famously doesn't let doesn't let any bad Tolkien content out there. Uh, most <laughs> obviously. 
Well, it's obviously the Hobbit movies, which are cinematic triumphs. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know the names behind the show. Uh, I do know that Bezos wanted something like Game of Thrones for uh, Amazon Prime, and so he put his grubby little fingers into his that grubby little pockets. That I can't put on yeah. his cowboy hat. Literally $250 million. Yeah. That's almost enough. That's enough money to send like a couple of dollars to every adult American. And he paid for this just for the rights. $250 million for the rights. I don't know a lot of the actors. I don't know a lot of the people behind it. Um, I am reserving judgment, but it does yeah. have a name, and that name is The Rings of Power. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's, Jeff's, Jeff's Lord Jeff of the show. Rings. And Jeff's special rings. I saw <laughs> I saw some uh I saw some liberal people on Twitter, some Jeff haters on Twitter saying uh Bezos doesn't realize that he is in fact Smaug the Dragon. Yeah. Are there Republicans who like Jeff Bezos? Is that a thing? Well, does anybody like this guy? There's always like billionaire worship. There are people who idolize billionaires. They think that they could be the next billionaire. Uh. Leadheads, if you're listening, Leadheads, if you're still listening, <laughs> if you're haven't listening turned to off. this, you won't be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am to sorry work. to say, but like none of us are going to be billionaires. Sorry. <laughs> if we have one thing uniting us all, Leadheads, it's that none of us will be billionaires. That's an almost promise. <laughs> That's the almost Lithead promise. It's a you yeah. don't know lit guarantee. <laughs> guarantee. <laughs> well, welcome. <laughs> Welcome, peasants. We've covered a lot of ground between our introductions and this point. Welcome, Litheads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast. Where every week I normally pick a theme, and Ian and Joe uh, bring a book recommendation that fits that. But instead, we're just uh, tickling their fancies this week. Um, You're really angry about this, aren't you? No, I'm just. You're explaining the construct. Enraged. We have to. You just we like have to, to have be in a, charge of the themes. I, I think he's just sleepy. He's he sleepy and be, crabby. He wants to be the lord of the themes. <laughs> one theme to rule them all. One theme to bind them. It, it's just the premise. It is important. <laughs> it's. Uh, I always, I do always like when Nick gets offended by like taking the chip away from the premise. I feel like we attack this premise on a regular basis, but every once in a while, Nick's just like, hey, look, hey, guys, you can't attack all aspects of the premise. You can fuck with the themes, you can fuck with the books, you can't fuck with everything and then change the rules and then also fuck with the books (laughs) and then also be like, blah, blah, blah. There is a potato in this chapter, so it's an Irish book. Like, by the way, this, this week I brought a video game. So rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers. Gentlemen, please do your best. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. Again, please do your best. And rule number three, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that matter to Ian and Joe mm-hmm, and right. Vince Lombardi. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three of us. The three of us. <laughs> Joseph, you have 30 seconds to tell me what your book's about. Nick, Claudia Kincaid has been planning to run away from home for ages. Well, long enough to save up $4.18. She's got a big list of reasons for running away, like she had to empty the dishwasher and set the table one night while her brothers got out of it and similar grapes. Um, She brings one of her brothers with us. Uh, He's the richest one. He has over $20 to his name. The two of them leave home and they move into the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Hijinks ensue. Okay. It's a brother... And a sister. That, there were so many offshoots in that. Like, I I, yeah. I don't know what There's the dishwasher. important things were. Um, right. It sounds like a brother wait, wait. and sister live in a museum, like at night. You got it done. Stop Which right of them? Brother and sister live in a museum. 
Which of them works as a dishwasher in Anthony Bourdain's kitchens? Which of them is Ben Stiller? Uh, neither one is Ben Stiller, uh, but the boy does have a filthy mouth. That's not true. This like is a dirty book. This book is for children. Okay. There is very little swearing. Okay. Give us a number of F words per page. Goo goo gaga. Ian, it's your turn. <laughs> Boston, 1773, the American colonies are winding inexorably toward war. But young Johnny Tremaine doesn't really care about any of that. He just wants to be the best silversmith he can be until a freak accident leaves him unable to pursue his metalworking. Johnny Tremaine, the book, follows the growth of its titular character from a childish, vengeful bully into a wiser, more mature young rebel with bigger revolutionary concerns. Pretty good. Johnny Tremaine, silversmith. Um, I'm interested in, let's just start with the night at the museum. Let's go with that one first, Joe. <laughs> yes, I've got Ben Stiller. Okay, Nick, this book is about running away from home. Um, it, it centers around a girl and her brother, Claudia and Jamie. And Claudia especially feels mistreated at home. She feels overlooked. She's got a bunch of little brothers. She feels like they get all the attention, that she has to do all the work. And life is totally unfair. The thing is, though, is she's kind of used to a pretty plush life. So she doesn't want to run away anywhere like too real right <laughs> so she's, like, a, she's a member of the one percent she'd like to run away to like chuck e cheese or something like that oh no I mean, chuck e cheese would? would be slumming it for claudia Kincaid. Oh, okay. uh, she wants to run away to the metropolitan museum of art like oh, this gotcha. yep this massive building surrounded by some of the finest artworks mankind has ever produced she's got good taste like does, does she choose to go there or is it like this is the nearest the nearest shelter or is it like no i like this place so much she this is a calculated decision like when wow. like claudia is nothing if if not uh meticulous she makes a very detailed plan for running away and the end goal is always the met um she likes the Met for a few reasons. First of all, it's fancy. Second of all, it has a cafe right there so you can get all of your food. Yeah. And third of all, it's, it's big enough that she and her brother can just hide in it at night, uh, which they do for the duration of this book. They they tuck themselves away into quiet little corners at night. Um, they sleep in beds that are like part of the displays, like these big antique beds, and they live in the museum. Was Night at the Museum a book first? <clears throat> Night mm. at the Museum book. Book. Oh, I smell another novelization coming on. Yeah. My, oh, it's definitely going to be a novelization. Yeah. In 1993. When was your book written? Uh, 1966. Okay. So, so this is the ugh. OG. Yeah, just pretty close. So do you think that, do you think that after, the, after this came out, the Met people were like, they, they made her leave? After the book came out, after this true story came out, did they track down Claudia Kincaid? Um, yeah, I, I, actually, I do have some things to say about that. Um, the Met really embraced this book. Th this book, when it came out, was wildly popular. It won. It's kind of a cool story. It won the Newbery Medal the, the year it came out. The author also published another book this year and was shortlisted for the Newbery Medal with that book. So this author is the only author in history. Uh, Nick, the Newbery Medal is like a really big deal in children's literature. This author is the only author in history who both won a Newbery Medal and won second place for the Newbery Medal the same year. <laughs> it's nice that she didn't split her own votes because that would have mm. been too bad. That would have been devastating. 
Um, I have a question. Well, first off, I'd like to know why you like this book so much. But secondly, how what, how long is this book? You say it's a kid's book. I don't really, I'm trying to wrap my head around what this thing is that you're describing to me. Yeah. So Nick, do you remember like when you make the transition from reading, I don't know, like little kids books to reading like chapter books? Yeah. Like this is a, this is a chapter book. Like there's something nice. like nine chapters in this book, 10 chapters. They're relatively short. The whole book probably clocks in at a hundred and oh, I don't know, 15 pages, 130 pages, something along those lines. So it's something you could sit down and read in an hour or two. It's basically hatchet. Yeah, it's it's basically hatchet. That, that's exact. That's a great. That's a great comparison for size, length, difficulty, all that. How Earth. many pages is it? I, th- I think it's like 130 pages. I okay. don't know okay. exactly. So you, what you read this book 20, okay, 20 so yeah. years ago, and then you reread it this week. Um, yep. How did that age poorly? <laughs> okay. Anytime we've talked about this on the show before. Um, How is it meeting your heroes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- t- turns out the author, huge racist. Uh-oh. No, uh, she's not. She's by all, by all uh, accounts, accounts, a lovely woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I first was exposed to this book in like third or fourth grade. I'm not even sure if I read it or if it was one of those books that my teacher read to the class. It's a book that stuck with me. It's a book that stuck with me for a long time. It's a book that I always remembered really fondly. Over Christmas, my wife and I were watching a television series that had a character in it named Mrs. Basil E in kind of homage to this book. And it made me think about it again. I was like, Mrs. Maisel? Uh, no, it, in in the Netflix series, Lillian Dash, which is like a cute little Christmas story, uh, there's a character named Mrs. Basil E who is like stern and charming and quirky and all the things that Mrs. Basil E. Frank Weiler is in this book. Not a sassy Jewish comic. Mm -mm, Not a sassy Jewish comic who's getting divorced. How important is divorce to your book, Joe? (laughs) Uh, It's not, it's non-existent. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about the overt messages. I think that's where you're going. Yeah. Well, the question that you asked initially was how does, how does, how poorly does it age? And the answer is, it it always makes you nervous going back and reading a book that you remember loving. Because as we've talked time and time again here, like a lot of times they age really poorly. Mm -hmm. Uh, This last week, I was really pleasantly surprised with this book. And I could kind of see why it has endured in the way that it has. The main characters, Jamie and uh, Claudia, are intelligent and fun and like, interesting and well-rounded characters who talk in ways that kids actually talk. And I could imagine as a third grader, fourth grader being exposed to this, it had to feel really different from a lot of other books that I'd read up until that point. Right? Like these were real smart kids who were being a little, I mean, not just a little bit naughty and devious, like who were running away from home and being Mm. successful. Criminals. They're (laughs) criminals. Does this get into like, any like really real issues? Like, was she running away from like abuse at home? Oh, right. Is this an after school special? Is this a very yes. special episode? A very special episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, this is not a very special episode. Did Mr. Feeney come out midway through the book and put his leg up, mm-hmm. you yep. know, on the chair and mm. bust off a lesson? You know, we've had a lot of fun here today, folks, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but gateway drugs are bad. <laughs> um, the stuff that stuck with me as a kid is the stuff that still sticks with me today. And I really enjoyed rereading it. And one of the best things is 
how they survive living in this museum, like how they hide from the guards, how they do their laundry, how they take baths in a museum. Nick, they take baths in the public fountain of the museum, which is like, obviously they do, right? Like they steal dry soap from the bathroom. They go to the public fountain, they take a bath, etc. But that's also where they get their money. <laughs> they take the quarters oh, and dimes yeah. and yeah, nickels like out they of it. They are thieves, Ian. Um, yeah, criminals. So, okay, well, I'm sorry. What's this book about? That's yep. what happens, but what is the book about? Is, is it like staying out of trouble? Is it getting into trouble? Is it hijinks? Are they rapscallions? It's a little bit of everything. Um, they're not rapscallions in the way that they're like trying to tear up the museum or anything like that. In fact, they're trying to fly under the radar. Um, they join museum tours every day of other school groups. They try to learn while they're there. The central plot at the middle of this is a statue shows up in the museum that may or may not be an original Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, it's a big deal because the museum paid a very small amount for it. They paid like $200 for this statue Whoa. and everybody's coming to see it because they're like, we think it's a Da Vinci. We think it's a Da Vinci. And Claudia and Jamie do everything they can while living at this museum to figure out whether or not it's an authentic Leonardo da Vinci uh, journey that eventually brings them to the door of the titular Miss, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Okay, so two things. First of all, mm-hmm, first mm-hmm, of all, Leonardo mm-hmm. da Vinci, we have no confirmed sculptures by him. So, mm-hmm. good, so big good, deal. I like good it. on you, Matt, I guess. Second question. Um, who is Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler? Because you, you're you're drumming her up as this big old fancy yeah. lady who's cool and great. Mm-hmm. But then the main characters are children. Are they her mm-hmm. children? Does no. she rescue them? Does she fly around with a cape? What's her deal? Why is why are her, why are they her files? So Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler is the person who uh, sold at auction this statue to the Met. She has a convoluted filing system in which she has saved like every scrap of paper, every newspaper article ever of interest to her. So she's got this library at home in this in this mansion filled with antiques and works of art. Like she's kind of an eclectic old wealthy woman. She's a she's a hoarder, Mm -hmm. uh, but she hoards incredibly valuable things, which is allowed. She has this filing system and the kids have to basically use this filing system to figure out, is this uh, Da Vinci or not? It's it's really a book about, it sounds like it's really a book about um, ordering your tabs and making sure you got your, the right bookmark set up. Yes. Um, and I would also like to point out that I've been saying Da Vinci this entire time. And when I say Da Vinci, I want you guys to understand that I I mean Michelangelo. Uh, <laughs> I obviously uh, don't mean Da Vinci. That would be stupid. Right. That was a test and we all Mm -hmm. passed. Yes, you all did a fantastic job. So that's like, that's, that's the book. That's the plot. Why in, why in the hell would I read this book? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think you should read it for, mm, I think three reasons. Number one, the kids are great. Okay, The kids and them living in the museum is just fun and madcap. Like it's just, it's cool. Number two, Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler is awesome. Like she, 
She's in this book. She's a presence throughout this book. The entire book is her writing a letter to her lawyer about these kids, about what she knows about them, about their story. Like she ends up being in a position to tell these kids stories. So like she's a presence throughout this book, but she's a character in the last, oh, 20 pages of this book. And it's one of those, oh, do you know how Anthony Hopkins um, is in Silence of the Lambs for yes. something like nine minutes? Right. Like it's, it's an incredibly right. short amount of time. And he won the Academy Award for Best yep. Supporting Actor. Yep. Something. I think I'm yeah. doing okay. Yep, that's right. Yep. Mrs. Basil Lee Frankweiler is the Anthony Hopkins of this book. Okay. She's a cannibal. Like she shows up for 20 pages and, and she's, she, eats, and the she eats the children. <laughs> yes. No, she shows up for 20 pages. It is a and real awesome. twist ending. <laughs> and our, my third point, total twist. okay joe i heard fun awesome and cannibal it sounds like it could be a good book was there anything else Mm, the the third thing the only other thing i'm gonna say about it is it's a book that i think you know we talk about things that age poorly on this show quite a bit it's a children's book that has aged super super well like nick we have not had our family christmas yet as you know but um it's uh it's it's a book that i got for one of our nieces because i'm like oh like this book holds up a, a nine-year-old can read this book today and think it's awesome so it's a book that racing. ages super well you should read you should read it to your kids what's the overt lesson mm, hide I from guards it's in, from it's in my quote and i i don't want to say it just in case you know nick nick if you want to hear the overt lesson gotta wait for the quote <sighs> i mean <laughs> I, I i i profoundly respect you playing the game like this Guys, I could think of no better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than with my only two friends, Ian and Joe. <laughs> Can you guys bring next week maybe some of your favorite books to celebrate this crazy wor- this crazy thing they call love? The crazy mm. thing they call love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll yeah I'll bring a book um, about love. Yeah. Uh, mm. It's specifically a one man's hey, love hey, for. Hey, hey, hey! Let's bring it down here. Lidheads, I want you to know that our video chat is on right now, and I'm looking right into Ian's eyes. Oh, God. Lidheads, Nick, Joe, I'd like to bring a book next week about two men who had a powerful love. One man had a powerful love for architecture, and the other had a powerful love for serial killing and torture. Oh, God. Okay. I'm going to bring it back up here. (laughs) I'm going to stay down here. Okay, what book are you going to bring, Ian? It's called for Valentine's Devil, Day, The Devil in the White City, and it's a cautionary tale about <laughs> you should about not about you know telling your friends where you're going before you leave the bar with somebody. <laughs> right. It's okay. A there's a real tale, risk, but- Lidheads. There's a real risk of serial killers these days. I'm mm-hmm. I'm just making that fact up. So mm-hmm. you know, be safe and don't mm-hmm. be like the dozens of young people murdered by the devil the this is how devil. ian this is how you're showing your love for us you're going to educate us on avoiding serial killers absolutely you know yeah right. there the the if any of you find yourself in 1890s chicago and it happens mm-hmm. to the best of us it, I'm, maybe I'm, even I'm, present chicago am i right i'm setting you guys up for nothing funny about violence here. uh mm-hmm. the devil in the white city it's it's going to be an interesting book and i'm excited to read it yeah you know i read once that um if if anybody ever points a gun at you and tells you to get in their car, your only response should be to tell them to shoot you 
because you are much more likely to survive a gunshot wound than getting in a car with a stranger who points a gun at you. So, uh, Lithead, that's your fun fact for the day. Um, I'm bringing a book that's actually about love, you psychopaths. I'm bringing the, the Love Languages book. Um, it's called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. A book that um, is pretty famous and also like genuinely really useful and good. I brought a book called Johnny Tremaine. It also won the Newbery Medal, but a full 23 years before the Basil Frank Frankenfurter. Wow. I do like the idea that both of us brought a book from a long time ago. And yeah. And the more recent one is like like our gateway books were written in 1966 and what, 1940? 1943. Like yep. 1943. Wow. Yeah. They still write books. Maybe we should read some of those. <laughs> They like put new books every year. Well, it's weird. So I was I was talking to a couple people, um, a a, a, a uh, relative of mine and his um, uh, love interest, his significant other, and uh, I brought this up. This his book significant up and, lover. Yeah, his significant lover. <laughs> this is my lover. I brought this, and up this is my significant I, lover. <laughs> I I didn't expect my brother to remember this book, but he was like, "You bet I do." And then. His significant other also said, and she has she had kind of a very different upbringing from from any of us. She was like, "Oh yeah, totally. We were assigned that in school. It was a, a super important, really really fun book." So it's um, I think it's it's a uh, historical fiction, and so it kind of kills a couple of birds with one stone. History, mm. and history literature. is one dead bird, <laughs> and what's the other dead bird? Literature. literature. I don't literature. know if that's a uh, but isn't that every book? What uh, What do you mean? Literature? No. There are some books no. that are not literature, like, for instance, The Alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come for oh, me, Paulo oh, Quilio. I Eat don't it, Alchemist. You thought we were done with you. <laughs> Ian, what's this book about? Yeah. So this book, um, it's going to sound a little bit like I'm mocking it, but just bear with me for a second. Johnny, our main character, our, 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 our protagonist, is a, an apprentice to a silversmith. And this seems like a very specific kind of dorky job, but... Mm. silversmithing um does he, he talk has like this, dork. this johnny tremaine mm. has a dreadful accident and his hand kind of gets fused together because they do a bad job healing it so this what? is a children's book wait a minute his yes. hand gets fused with the other hand no his hand <laughs> lit heads you can't see it lit heads lit heads let's do some uh let's do some kind of uh let's let's do some body work together hold okay. up your, your right hand okay okay hold up your right hand my hands up and then fold fold your thumb in on the palm okay Okay. Like now imagine scout, you scouts honor. You can't do anything except you can't move that thumb back out. It's stuck. Okay. The skin of the thumb has grown to the skin of the palm, so Ooh. that now you got mm-hmm. some fingies. You yeah. can wave really yeah. well. You can count mm-hmm. up to four. Can't count five, and you can't grab things. You could pick up a, a like a bar, but like not right. above your chest. Mm-hmm. Right. You could absolutely. You could, you could hold a pencil or a pen, but not above. But it would yeah. look really. <laughs> Yeah, also right. that because could, of the heart rate. Because stuff. of their so, thumb. You could like get pasta really well. Like if you made, made a bowl of spaghetti, you could like just scoop it right out with or those fingers. Or you could stick your fingers in the spaghetti, kind of twirl the bowl a couple of times. All of a sudden you get a big <laughs> water pass on your fingers. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, spaghetti. he's living in. Let's just say he could never be a Vulcan. Yeah. No, like, you're very, you're very, well, I mean, he would be really good at the, at the live long. He would prosper, live long. But he would not prosper. Anyway, so here's his deal. This is his deal. His deal is that Woof. he has this dreadful accident his hand gets fused together and then so he has kind of a life set up for himself he's like i'm gonna be a master silversmith and so on and so forth 
but he can't do silversmithing, which requires a lot of dexterous little thingy work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he's like, what do I, what do I do now? And he kind of hits rock bottom. Um, he can't, he, he's an oh, apprentice. God, he, don't Google image search this. Okay. Johnny <laughs> Tremaine hand, Johnny Tremaine don't feet, Johnny Tremaine height. Johnny Tremaine uh, okay. wife. So <laughs> Johnny Tremaine, Tremaine net worth. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he his lifelong career, his lifelong ambition in life was to become yeah. a silversmith. And day one, that's out of the picture. Yeah, oh, and he, poor he's really the thing is too. He's really good at being a silversmith, okay. and so it's mm. like it's like the dream is is gone. It's absolutely gone, and everyone's kind of like pities him, and he hates being pitied, and that's tough um, too. Yeah. So he's he's kind of in a bad place, and the book just follows him kind of climbing back out of rock bottom. He he's wandering around Boston, and um, he starts to work for a newspaper printed by rebels, basically. And he kind of gets involved in the whole rebel cause, and he helps at the Boston Tea Party, and he watches his best friend die, and he just sort of grows up kind of throughout. Oh. He he falls in love, sort of. And it's just, just sort of like, um, it's sort of like a, a really human growth pattern. It's really mm-hmm. just like a normal person growing up, um, how, dealing with, yes. I, I was just going to say, how old were you when you read this book and how old are you supposed to be when you read this book? Cause in this my is, head, I'm thinking children's book. And then you said he watches his friend die. And that's yeah. a little heavy. For yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Well, and like the, the, the friend thing, um, he, 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 he gets, like, it. he has to deal with, like, <laughs> he's a jerk. The, the friend wasn't hiding from the guards well enough. No, he, he goes, like, there's a lot of stuff that we would, I think, today be like, wow, this is, this is kind of grown up. Like, there's a scene where, where there's a, uh, a Tory who is a, a sympathizer with the English, a loyalist, and the, the Tory, um, the Tory is, like, trying to chase down some rebels and, like, show him what for and they turn on him and they beat him brutally and the book talks about him like weeping the the, the tory weeping in the alleyway after the beating God. not out of pain but out of humiliation for how badly <laughs> they stomped him so like um it's not like it's it's i think definitely what we would call young adult it's not a children's book um it's a little bit longer and it's really like she she was devoted the author Esther Esther Forbes she was devoted to her craft. It's a really carefully artfully written book. So yeah, it's about a young man dealing with um uh disability and identity and sort of like who am I when I had so clearly a sense of myself and now that's all gone. Okay. This sounds a little heavier than Joe's uh off the cuff. Mm. Well, yeah. did I tell oh, you about definitely. them hiding from the guards? Yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> they hid their they hid their instruments in a sarcophagus. Whoa. So uh with a mummy. How, what kind of book size is this? It's not super long. It's like two, two fifty pages. You know why I ask, Ian? Why do you ask? I, I want to know how quickly they jump into the moral. The morals, the overt lessons. Do they jump uh, right on in? They I mean, I guess there's a lesson, don't be prideful. Thank you for not withholding that until your quote. <laughs> yeah. It's like the movie seven. Is this, is this book the movie seven? Because that's uh, also, I mean, that, we've got some body that. horror already. So this is called four. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's how many fingers he has left. No, we got, yes, well, we got on one hand. I guess <laughs> right. you could call it right. nine. Call it nine. Could yeah. call it nine. 
I have a, I have a maybe kind of a moral question for both of you guys. Is a yep. thumb a finger? It's a. Uh, I think it, I think it's a thumb. I don't think that's a moral question. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's a very moral question. And I think I think like uh, medically, it's it's a digit, but it's not a finger. Well, it's weird because I don't think a thumb is a finger, but I think a big toe is definitely a toe. And I feel like big toes and thumbs are pretty much the same. Big is toes big are not toe, opposable. Is a big toe a thumb? Mm, some big toes are kind of thumby. Not what according to trans- Grammarly. What if you transplanted <laughs> somebody's big toes onto their hands and they had big mm. toes instead of thumbs? That's gross. That's like that's like Twilight Zone-y, I feel like. Like, you know the girl with the pig face? Um, I could imagine it like that, but with toe thumbs. Would you rather have thumbs for big toes or big toes for thumbs? <laughs> oh, God. Thumbs for big toes, I feel like would I need way bigger shoes. Yeah. yeah oh, but- man, it would screw up your whole shoe system or you'd have to cut holes. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably do that. And honestly... Um, <laughs> but if you did it, you'd have to like paint your thumb the same color as your shoe. Like, it would look weird. If you're <laughs> Can I tell you guys about my experience with this book, please? How does your book cover... Uh, <laughs> deformities such as as big toe <laughs> the long lost cousin of bigfoot the book actually deals interestingly i'm, I'm going to treat that as a legitimate question even though nick is doing the very insensitive hand gesture right now um <laughs> I, i'm going to treat that as a legitimate question and say like this book was published in 1943 but it, it doesn't really have a provincial attitude it's not like hmm. oh and he was deformed and therefore he was less of a person it's like hey this guy has this accident and people treat him poorly and we're going to look carefully at his psychological response to it and like the way that he copes and the way this sort of damages him the, the way this this traumatizes him and i think it's kind of like it's just kind of like it's more uh tender and nuanced than you might imagine a book from 80 years ago does it yeah, age well be. in that regard because if it does that's shocking <laughs> absolutely i would say it does like i would say this is a book which has a an, a message about disability and uh trauma that is kind of evergreen i think it i think it sticks the landing here because well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil it but like yeah he he does kind of learn to he heals not just physically, but he heals emotionally, uh, psychologically in a really part of the beauty of this book is it's really beautifully organic. It's incredibly organic. The stuff that happens. Yeah. This is maybe where the paint dry stuff happens, comes from, but it's really a natural psychological progression. I read this when I was probably 11 or 12. Um, you, you kind of imagine a, a, uh, a readership that is the same age as him. So he's 13 when the book yeah. starts and then we follow him for a few years. So by the time the book ends, he's like 16, 17. He's kind of like, he's growing up. He's, a, oh, he's okay. almost, he's very nearly a grown up. And is there, is there, is it heavy handed with like the moral in the story or is there like a, like a whole separate storyline that's going on? That's like what it's actually like the plot oh, no. moves forward this, and all that kind of stuff. This is, this or is, is the, like, the reason I say, is it like he goes to the clothing store and he can't buy gloves or something? <laughs> and then he goes to <laughs> the shoe store. It's a real pretty women situation. He's it's like, not a, number me. <laughs> it's not a series of, uh, a series of, right? of, of, uh, of, uh, Johnny's hand. Um, <laughs> Johnny's events. hand at the park. <laughs> Johnny's hand at the store. Well, like there is, there is a genre of children's literature, which is like, Hey, here's a great premise. Let's see what happens when this, ha- this shows up. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's not okay. like that. No, it's like, and this is why, like, I don't feel bad spoiling that he gets uh, uh, has this accident because it happens early in the book, and the book he's not defined by it, and he's defined mm-hmm. less and less by it as the book progresses. The book is about him kind of learning that he is a person, he has value beyond like right away after he has the accident. Some people are like, oh, you poor thing, and they pity him and he hates that. Other people are like, you're gross. Get that thing away yeah. from me. Don't touch me with your evil hand, with, with your, your nasty hand. hand. <laughs> with your and, and so like both of these responses mess him up in different mm-hmm. ways. So the book involves him kind of like coming to terms with that he is he is a, a a person regardless of of what people think about his physicality and that means that the hand recedes into the background towards the end of the book we kind of start to lose the hand a little bit it's less about the hand it's not about the hand and it's about Uh-oh. johnny's let's a whole not person. lose any more hands here no that's <laughs> um <laughs> no with the thumb is still there it's just it's Careful just, i feel like with all these of, hand jokes we might be part of the problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so it I, aged, guys it, i don't want to say anything yeah it, it, it sounds like it ages pretty well did it live up to your nostalgia or no uh i would say it it actually i would say no it did not live up to my nostalgia it exceeded it's good that was almost like a sleight of hand he did that joe <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah all right we're gonna get canceled for this episode i don't um, think so underhanded son of <laughs> um i read this like a long time ago and i read it a bunch of times because i was i i didn't have boy meets world reruns to watch right mr Um, feeney (laughs) but then i i came back to it and i was like i'm i am blown away like this is a book which might re-enter my regular like adult reading uh cycle because Mm -hmm. it's so just nuanced and delicate she wrote she wrote the author uh esther forbes wrote grown-up novels she wrote novels for grown-ups and then she wrote this and it's it's about a kid and it's kind of a child's it's kind of a young adult book but it's a it's really a book about a human being and i don't know there's some powerful emotionally powerful uh scenes in this um there's some incredible description i really hated this the first time i read it and then I finished reading it and I was like, oh, okay, that was pretty good. I guess I should read it again just to make sure. <laughs> and then I did and I was like, okay, that's pretty good. That's really good. I'll read it again just one more time to figure it out. Joe, you lose. Um, <sighs> and not because of the merit of your book, but I think, I think I heard Conan O'Brien make a reference to a Johnny Tremaine uh, joke mm-hmm. once. And so I'd, I'd like to read the book so I can really understand that joke. <laughs> right. Really get it. Get on uh, that. Team I heard Coco. like a couple months back. Yeah. Team Coco. So that's mm-hmm. that's probably my biggest motivation. Um, and Joe, probably just to set a precedent uh, on you trying yeah, to manip- manipulate the game that's, like that. Um, it, was, it makes me feel sneaky. like we're not aligned on... It was. It's like Joe. Joe has too much power. Right. It was a shift I wasn't ready for. <laughs> well, Joe, can you tell uh, us the moral of? Case, tell the litheads what to do, and then tell them what the moral of your book was. Okay, litheads. Well, I don't know if I'm going to tell. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. Litheads, do whatever the fuck you I'm want. Only, I'm only going to tell the litheads what to do if Nick takes his, his headphones off. Nick, you have to take your headphones off, and then I'll and then I'll say the moral of the I'm story. I'm absolutely not doing that. 
Oh, I was going to just read the quote. All right. <laughs> Lit, heads. <laughs> Lit heads. Um, we, we love you very much. Uh, next week is Valentine's uh-huh. Day, Lit heads. And if you want to get us a Valentine, you can head on over to you don't know lit podcast.com. Suggest a theme, suggest a book. We read them all and we talk about many of them. Um, if to, to you be clear, want Joe, to s- we will get to all the submissions eventually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. All right, Lidheads, we will get, if you suggest a book, Nick is saying it right here. He is putting Ian and Mai's time on the line, right? He's saying, he's saying, you write any dumb shit you want in there and these dopes will read it. All right, Lidheads, suggest a book, suggest a theme. Apparently we are bound by podcast law to read it. Um, Or if you don't want to do that, head on over to the podcast player of your choice, leave us a review or just tell a bookish friend. Um, If you have a friend that likes books and likes podcasts, you have the podcast for them. That's the Venn diagram we're interested in. (laughs) Congratulations. That is the Venn diagram we're interested in. Congratulations, Ian. Thank you. And congratulations to Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. You successfully bilked the Metropolitan Museum of Art out of at least $200 Mm -hmm. for that piece of junk. Unless it turns out to be a genuine Michelangelo at that point, it's going to be worth much, much more. It's true. It's true. All right. I'm going to read a quote from uh, possibly one of the most famous parts of this book, uh, a quote from one of the meetings, the Sons of Liberty, the, the, the gathering of the Boston rebels um, to kind of make plans for overthrowing the British. And they have this meeting. Um, they're kind of wrapping things up. And then this this rando shows up, this guy that James Otis, everyone thinks he's kind of like um, um, he's not all there. Everyone thinks he got hit on the head and, and, and maybe has lost a few uh, of the marbles. Um, so he shows up and he starts doing this speech and gradually more and more people start to listen. So I'm going to kind of read the end, the end of the speech, which is a high point of this book. Otis says, they say my wits left me after I got hit on the head by that customs official. Some of us will give our wits. He said, some of us are property. John Hancock, did you hear that? Property, that hurts, eh? Hancock looked him straight in the face. I am ready, he said. I can get along without all that. You, Paul Revere, said Otis. You'll give up that silver craft you love. God made you to make silver, not war. Revere smiled. There's a time for the casting of silver and a time for the casting of cannon. If that's not in the Bible, it should be. Dr. Warren, Otis said. You've a young family. You know quite well if you get killed, they may literally starve. Warren said, I've thought of all that long ago. And you, John Adams, said Otis, you've built a very nice little law practice. Each shall give according to his own abilities, and some, some will give their lives. All the years of their maturity, all the children they never live to have, the serenity of old age. To die so young is more than merely dying. It is to lose so large a part of life. James Otis was on his feet, his head close against the rafters that cut down into the attic, making it the shape of a tent. Otis put out his arms. It is all so much simpler than you think, he said. He lifted his hands and pushed against the rafters. We give all we have, lives, property, safety, skills. We fight, we die for a simple thing. Only that a man can stand up. With a curt nod, he was gone. <laughs>